Can you come up here and read Psalm 121? Can you find that? This is God's protection. A song of the stairway. I like that. I look up to the mountains and hills longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord. Come on, church. He's our creator who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget nor ignore me. Some of you think he forgets you or ignores you. He doesn't. He will never slumber nor sleep. He didn't take a break. He doesn't hit the snooze button like you and I do. He will never slumber or sleep. He is the guardian God for his people, Israel. And guess what? We are his guardian. We are his people because we've been what? We've been grafted in. Jehovah himself will watch over you. He, he's always at your side to shelter you and safe, safe, safely in his presence. He's protecting you from all danger. Say all danger. all danger. Both day and night, he will keep you from every form of evil or calamity as he continually watches over you. You will be guarded by God himself. Now that's a pretty good guard. Yeah. You'll be guarded by God himself. <laughs> Woo, that's the best guard you can get. You will be safe when you leave your home, and safely you will return. Amen. He will protect you now, and he'll protect you forevermore. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. Whatever translation, Lord, it's powerful. We thank you for it today, for your, for your presence right now that we've been singing about, but we've also been experiencing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today is, like I said, we're, we're celebrating the 4th on the 5th. Um, you know, when, because I'm doing this series called After Pentecost, and I, I begin to think after the war, you know, after America, they declared independence. You, you understand people, a lot of people think that we became a nation on July 4th, 1776. All they did was declare it. They're de declaring their independence. It still took a war after that. And after the war, there was a whole lot of things that America had to do. They had never, they've always been, all these people always lived under a king. So they had to do a process of what do we want? Do we want another king? No, we don't want a king. We want somebody, we'll call him a president. And we want a Congress. See, Congress had to be established. It wasn't the Continental Congress again. It was the United States Congress. Supreme Court had to be formed. All these things took place like in 1789 and 1790. The first time the Supreme Court ever assembled was in 1790. So after, after the battles, there's still things that have to be done. And so after Pentecost, we read back in Acts chapter 2 that after Pentecost, they, they began to form together. There were 3,000 people that got, you know, they gave their life to Jesus. But they had to do some things after that for us to be here today standing and talking about our Christian faith and experiencing our faith. Amen? So on the day of Pentecost, how many people were in the upper room? About 120 or so, the Bible says. Well, followers of Jesus, they were all in one place. They were in one what? Accord. Yes, yeah, not a Honda. They were all in one accord. And after the response of over 3,000 people to follow Jesus that day, Acts 2.42 says this. Every believer, say every believer, was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. In other words, they were united. They were sharing communion. They were coming together regularly for prayer. But here's the reality of that. The reality of that was these were Jewish Christians. For the most part, now, there may have been some Gentiles, but if you were a Gentile and you converted in that time period, you know what you had to do? You had to adhere to, Jew adhere to Jewish customs. Jewish customs, they had to become like Jews. They couldn't be Gentile Christians. They had to be Jewish Christians. You understand that? So here we, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn there. But this is eight years, probably eight years later that we see the second Pentecost. The Gentile Pentecost is what we're going to talk about this morning. Eight years it took them to get to this place where they were going to be more inclusive than ever before. Because see, they still had their prejudices. They still had their divisions. They still looked down upon Gentiles, the Jews, the Jews did. And so we find that after eight years, we see this incredible story. And we're going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to break it up. And I promise you we'll get out here before 6 o'clock tonight. Okay? But, you know, when I try to start cutting out scriptures, it's just really hard for me to do that. When I'm, when I'm trying to give the whole picture, 
And then I felt like I'm cheating you and I'm and actually going against, you know, God said, well, go ahead and read it all. It's in a couple more minutes. <laughs> so I think it's important that we see all of Acts chapter 10. Okay, so if you'll follow with me, we're going to walk through these a few verses at a time. There are no points. If we did points this morning, you would just like hate me because you're like, oh, that's too many points. So I'm not even going to tell you how many points we got. Okay, you ready? Because you know how I kind of go. I kind of get excited. Acts 10, verse 1. This is the, the TPT, the Passion Translation. At that time, there was a Roman military officer, Cornelius. Say Cornelius. Cornelius. Cool name who was in charge of 100 men stationed in Caesarea. He was the captain of the Italian regiment. I like in, in I think in New King James, he was in the Italian band. <laughs> I thought, one what, one what instrument he played. He was in the Italian regiment, a devout man, listen to this, of extraordinary what? Character, who worshipped God. He worshipped the God of the Jews, okay? And he re- prayed regularly together with all his family, okay? He brought his family in on this deal. And he also had a heart for the poor and gave generously to help them. Do you know God really loves it when we help the poor people? He really helps it when we feed the poor and clothe the naked and visit those. And he loves that about people. And he's, he's loving this about Cornelius, okay? Cornelius was one of those, he was a, a Gentile, Roman, and yet he was a God-fearer. But here's the thing. He did not, he did not convert to, Judea, uh, to, to the Judaism or our Jewish God that, that the way that they would require somebody to convert. You know why? Here's the reason I think they don't convert. When you're older and they tell you if you're going to convert and you're like 40, 50 years old and they say you've got to be circumcised, I say, man, you know what? I'm going to find another religion. <laughs> or I'll, I'll just I'll, 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 I'll be a part of this one, but I don't want to go that far. Okay? So the circumcision was a requirement. You, you'll see that all through Scripture because the Jews were always wanting to put circumcision on the Gentiles. Like, we had to be, so you're going to have to be. You know? It's kind of like, oh, that's just not fair. So, but he was a, a, he was a God-fearing man. He was a Gentile, and he had brought all of his family to the same faith in the God of Israel. Okay? So verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had an open vision and saw the angel of God appear right in front of him, calling out his name, Cornelius. That's how angels talk. Startled, he was overcome with fear by the sight of the angel, and he asked, What do you want, Lord? The angel said, All of your prayers and your generosity to the poor have ascended before God as an eternal offering. In other words, God has not forgetting, forgotten what you've done. See, you think that God forgets that what the things that you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30. He doesn't forget what you've done. Except your sins, right? He remembers all the times that you helped that person, that you mowed your neighbor's yard, that you gave that person a hamburger that was on the side of the road, that you helped that person with their flat tire. Whatever it was, God loves it when, and He remembers all the times that you reached down and sacrificed and gave of yourself to help somebody else. Man, that's why He even gave us the story about the Good Samaritan, right? He loves the fact that we love to help other people. That should be part of our character. It should be part of our agenda, whatever you want to call it, as Christians. So why would he pick Cornelius? Because he was a God-fearing man. He was a praying man. You'll see later on that he not only prayed, but he fasted. And that he had, he was a generous person. Man, God, you know, don't you just love generous people? Don't you want to be one of those? You know, sometimes we just want... Oh, please, please, here, help me, help me, help me. Listen, sometimes you don't get help, 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 because you don't help, help, help. You haven't sowed kindness. You haven't sown. And so you wonder why, why aren't they helping me? You know, always got your hand out. And God says, because you're not helping anybody else. So, so, S-O-W, sow into other people. Be generous in your giving. Amen? Verse 5, now send me, now send some of men, some men to Joppa at once. Have them find a man named Simon the Rock. I like that. Simon the Rock, okay? Who is staying as a guest in the, I don't know why I do that. I'm sorry. Rocky, man. That, that was his nickname, Rocky. Who is staying as a guest. That's probably what they probably called him, all of his friends. Hey, Rocky. Yeah, okay. Who's staying? Who's staying as a guest? I'm just seeing if you're all listening. Who's staying as a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who, whose house is by the sea? Y'all remember that song, Puff the Magic Dragon? Yeah. <laughs> Lives by the sea. I'm really, I'm, help me, Lord. Help me. 
Help me. Oh, I'm sorry. After the angel left, Cornelius called for two of his servants and a trusted godly soldier who was his personal attache. And he explained to them everything that had just happened and sent them off to Joppa. Now, you might think, why would they even listen to this guy? He just said he had a, a visitation from an angel because they trusted him. They knew his character. And when he said something, they're like, man, we're going we, we're gonna to listen to him. We're going to be obedient to him. His faith was contagious. How many of you know people that their faith is just contagious? You just be around them a little bit. And, and, and I'm telling you, my wife, her faith is contagious. I woke up this morning and I did not feel good. I'll just tell you right now. I'm just like, man, I don't know if I, if I wasn't preaching, I wouldn't be going to church. And she said, well, you don't have to go. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, I felt like I, I kind of needed, you know. She was trying to use some reverse psychology, I think, on her, her child. And, but yet she said, nope, you just need to start praying in tongues. You need to start building up your faith. And she, I, she walked out of the room. She was just praying in tongues as she walked away. And she's, and, and in a minute, how you, are you better? I said, yeah, I'm better. I'm okay. I'm okay. And, and by the time I got here, it was just fine. You know, because her, her faith, listen, we need other people's faith to bolster us. That's why it says come together to encourage one another, build one another up. Amen? So we're building one another up this morning. His faith was contagious. His whole household and his soldiers, even his soldiers, believed in God. Verse 9. The next day around noon, as Cornelius' men were approaching Joppa, Peter went up to the flat roof of the house to pray. He was hungry. He wanted to eat. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance and entered into another realm. One of the reasons that I read one, one commentary is kind of interesting. The reason they would go up on the house to pray, uh, to pray is because when they were cooking lunch, it was, just smell, it was filling the house up with smoke. And all the houses back then, they were built where there's like a patio on the roof. And they would go up there to eat. They would go up there to pray, go up there to, you know, hang out. I don't know what they would, but they had, this was a kind of a custom. He said, so he said, well, you're cooking lunch. I'm going to go up on the roof. And while I'm up there, I'll just pray, okay? So he went up on the roof and he prayed and, and he fell into a, a trance and he entered, the Bible says, into another realm, okay? Now, God has spoken to Cornelius. And now he's about to speak to Peter, okay? Did you know God knows both sides of the equation? Yes. How many of you know that he works both sides? Yes. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. How many of you have been in situations where you prayed about something and you didn't, how this is going to work out, but your, God has said, I've already got this worked out on the, on, on the other end. How many of you have experienced that? You know, you were, well, I was thinking about you. Well, you were? Well, I was thinking about you. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Because God's working both sides of the equation. He knows. He's God, okay? So he's working both sides of this. And Cornelius has been, been given a, a visitation from an angel. Now, and now Peter's getting a vision. Remember Paul when he was struck down on the road to Damascus? And he was given, and God spoke to him, and you know, just spoke to him out of, uh, out of his blindness and said, he said, you're going to go to a certain place, to a certain street, to a certain man. Well, guess what? God told Ananias the same thing. There's going to be a man that's going to come to you. He's going to come. You're not going to know him. You've heard of him. He doesn't have a good reputation, but you need to receive him. You need to pray for him. God's working both sides of these things. He can do the same for you if you'll let him. Matter of fact, who is God? If, if you're praying for somebody, who's God preparing you for to meet with? Who's God, who's God got on your radar right now that maybe he's spoken to you in a dream or he's given you a vision or he just put something into your heart? I need to be praying for so-and-so. Did you know if he did that, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, he's working the other side of that equation. So you don't have to be afraid. He's already preparing them. Okay? So let's go into verse 11. Because I'm not to the good stuff yet. And the heavenly realm opened up. He's on the roof, okay? And he saw something resembling a large linen tablecloth that descended from above, being let down to the earth by its four corners. Can y'all picture that in your mind? You have a picture of it? Big tablecloth. Four corners stretched tight. All right? As it floated down, he saw that it held many kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles, and wild birds. I don't know if they were full size or not. God could have done that. And a voice said to him, Peter, go and prepare them to be eaten. And the New King James says, kill and eat. All right? Go and prepare them to be eaten. And Peter replied, well, sure, Lord, anything you show me, I'm going to do it immediately. Not. 
Peter replied, there's no way I could do that, Lord, for I've never eaten anything forbidden or impure according to our Jewish laws. I just wouldn't do that. You know me. <laughs> I'm obedient. The voice spoke again. Nothing is unclean if God declares it to be clean. But that wasn't enough. The vision was repeated three times. Something about Peter in the number three. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, right? And did he? Yes, he did. And suddenly the linen sheet was snatched back up into heaven. Peter had a habit of going against what God would tell him to do. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. <laughs> you're not going to wash my feet. Uh-uh. No, sir, I'm not going to let my Savior wash my feet. Well, he said, well, Peter, then if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Well, then wash all of me, you know? No, he, he, he told God, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. Oh, you're going to go to the cross and die? No, you're not. I'm not going to let you die on the cross. No way, no how. Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? So I know Peter's the only person in this room that ever said no to God. So we look at Peter and go, man, you know, God gave us him so we could see us. So we could see the humanity in an apostle. We could see the, 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 the flesh rise up in an apostle. And it rises up in us too, doesn't it, Ed? At time, from time to time, God says, I want you to do thus and so. Well, I don't have time right now. God, God says, well, you, you better have time because I'm telling you now. You say, well, God, can we postpone that? Let me put you in Google. I'll, I'll, I'll set up an appointment. See, we, we tell God, and we, you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. And we do that a lot, but we, we, don't, we don't call it disobedience. We just call that we're, we're going to get to it when I get around to it. Anybody ever got around to it in, the, in, the, in a card? A little wooden, it just, it's a little wooden looking coin, and then the word T-U-I-T is on it. So now you got your around to it. Get it done. So if husbands, if you say, I'll get around to it, well, wives, get him around to it so he can get those things done. But we all say no to God at different times in our life. And how does that work out? Not very good. God does not like to be told no. And here's the thing. Here's the insanity of it. We're talking, we're going to say no to the creator of the universe that knows everything about us and everything about everybody else and about every situation and can do anything when he wants to do it. And we think, I'll tell him no because I'm a little bit smarter. I think I know better. See, that's what you're actually telling God when you say no. You're usually saying, no, I'll do it in my own time or I know better. See, that's just not a good thing. So here he is dropping the sheet down, all these reptiles and animals, and, and some of them were clean and some were unclean. And Peter says, man, I can't eat any of that. I just, you know, you're way off base here, God. I, I just can't do that. Okay, and God says, listen, don't you, tell what, don't you tell me what is unclean and what's clean. I'll tell you what is unclean and what's clean. Okay, so we really need to pay attention when God says for us to do something. The funny thing is Peter said no, and Cornelius said, what do you want, Lord? Peter's baptized in the Holy Spirit, not, not Cornelius. Cornelius says, what do you want, Lord? Here I'm, kind of like, here am I. What can I do for you? Have you ever told God no? Then you need to repent. You see, Peter had put God in a box. You don't, you don't think Peter had put God in a box? Well, he had. And we'll see a little bit more about that as we go. Verse 17. Peter was so stunned by the vision that he couldn't stop wondering about what it all meant. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Cornelius, it's not in there. Meanwhile, Cornelius' men had learned where Peter was staying and at the same moment were standing outside the gate. And don't you just love this? Wouldn't this make a good Hallmark movie? They called out to those in the house, Is this where Simon the Rock is staying? And as Peter was in deep thought, trying to interpret the vision, the Spirit said to him, Go downstairs now, for these three men are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them, because I've sent them. And Peter went downstairs to the men and said, I believe I'm the one you're looking for. <laughs> Isn't that just the coolest thing? Hey, I know what you're looking for me, aren't you? Yes, okay. 
What brings you here, he says. And they answered, we serve Cornelius, a Roman military captain who sent us to find you. He's a devout man of the highest integrity who worships God and is respected throughout the Jewish community. Okay. He was divinely instructed through the appearance of an angel to summon you to his home and to listen to the message that you would bring him. So Peter invited them to stay for the night. Now, listen, this is a big no-no. Peter is inviting Gentiles into Simon the Tanner's house for the night. In other words, when you look at and get into more detail about that and dig a little bit, that means he brought them in and entertained them. Got them some tea or something, you know, and some some scones. I don't know, but he had them into the house. And that was a no-no. So he's breaking all the rules here. The next morning they departed, accompanied by some of the believers from Joppa. So he was like, if I'm going to go with some Gentiles, I want to have some backup. So he took some guys with him, okay? He was pretty smart. He needed to, he needed to have some witnesses with him. Verse 24. The next day they arrived in Caesarea where Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them. And they gathered together all of his relatives and close friends. And the moment Peter walked in the door, Cornelius fell at his feet to worship him. But Peter pulled him to his feet and said, Stand up, for I'm only a man and no different from you. Wow. Can you imagine this scene? See, we, we, we just read these stories. and well, That's a cool story. No, this was, this was like life and death. This was like the ultimate betrayal of his own customs, his own upbringing. He's like, I'm going to go into the house of a Gentile. And matter of fact, and then, then a Gentile falls down on, his, uh, on my feet and starts worshiping me. Get up. I'm just a man. I'm, I'm, my name's Peter. I, you might call me the rock, but I, sometimes they call me the rock because I sunk pretty fast in the water. I'm not perfect. I'm just a man like you, Cornelius. Get up. Don't worship me. We'll talk about who you need to worship in a minute. See, centuries earlier, there was a, there was a man that was also called to go and take the word to the Gentiles, and his name was Jonah. And he decided, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. Uh, there's no way. And, he, and God had to do extraordinary things to get him to the people of Nineveh, didn't he? Well, Peter, he, he, he has a vision, and he is willing to go. Listen, when you get a vision and God says, this is where I want you to go, you need to say yes and go. Even if it looks like it's air, all the odds are stacked against you, you need to stand up and say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do because I know you're preparing the way for me. If you gave me a vision, I know you're going to fulfill this. You're going to bring whatever you have in, whatever you have in mind and what in store for this, and the purpose of me going. You're going to bring it to pass because you're already working these things out for my good. For your glory, right? Verse 27. They talked together and then they went inside. Where Peter found a large gathering waiting to hear his words. And Peter said to them, You all know that it's against the Jewish laws for me to even to associate with or even Visit the home of one who's a Jew, who's not a Jew. Yet God has shown me that I should never view anyone as inferior or ritually unclean. So when you sent for me, I came without objection. Now may I ask you, why did you send me for me? You know, if we're really honest, there have been times in our lives when we think, or know or call people inferior to us. Wouldn't you agree? We judge people. The Bible says not to judge, but we judge. We elevate ourselves, so to elevate ourselves, we have to put somebody else down, right? I mean, that's what bullies do in school, isn't it? Usually, bullies are usually the most insecure people in the world. So to get any security in their life, they have to put other people down. You know, they say comedians are the most insecure people in the world. And, and they make a living out of putting other people down, making fun of other people. Because they have to elevate themselves some way. They don't get their worth in Christ. Right? And he said, listen, maybe I've in the past, I've done some judging and I shouldn't have done that. And God's showing me in a vision that I better be careful about what I call unclean and who I associate with and who I say I can't associate with. See, it took a vision from God, a supernatural visit from strangers to change his thinking. 
See, the last thing a Jew wanted to be caught doing was being in the home of a Gentile. If you read on Acts chapter 11, verse 2, when he went before the council in Jerusalem, you know what they said to Peter? Hey, we heard you went into some Gentiles' homes, some uncircumcised Gentiles, some heathens kind of what they're talking about. We've heard you went into their home. He said, guilty, right? That's how serious it was. We have to understand the context of this. Verse 30, Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was fasting and praying. Here in my home at this very hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, when a man in glistening clothing suddenly appeared in front of my eyes, and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Your generosity to the poor has been recorded and remembered in God's presence. However, you must send for a man named Simon the Rock, who is staying in Joppa as a guest of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I immediately sent my men to bring you here, and you were kind enough to come. And now I love this verse. I hope you all will highlight it in your Bibles. And now here we are, all of us in God's presence, anxious to hear the message that God has put into your heart to share with us. Would you underline that? I don't know what it looks like in your translation. That's a preacher's dream. That's a preacher's dream right there. That when he steps up to, pre to preach, that everybody in the room came with an expectation they came knowing that they were in God's presence and that he was about to speak to them through the word but you know what many people do they just barely get here on Sunday morning and if they get here on time that's a great thing but if they get here late that's even oh man at least we made it and there's no thought of what God has been speaking when there's no thought of preparation the night before what's God going to do in my life tomorrow what what's kind of what kind of encounter am I going to have with God well see we we have this mindset we show up and we hope the praise team is 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 on, in, is, is is in sync we, we hope that they've got everything worked out in the back and the, the videos are all right. And we hope the preacher that he preaches and that he does a good job and that there's some humor in it and there's some men that, but that he gets a point across and then we can go home and start over for the next week. But you don't, many people don't come with a thought, I wonder what God's going to speak to me today. Because if you came, prayed up and fasted and said, God, what are you going to do? We would leave this place and we would be so excited we couldn't hardly wait to get out of the building. And not because a preacher preached too long, but because, man, he spoke to me and I've got somebody I'm supposed to go see. That's, that's the heart. I, can I read this again? And now here we are, all of us in God's presence, anxious to hear the message that God has put into your heart to share with us. You see, I don't just come up here and go, oh, I wonder what I can preach on this, this Sunday. I wonder what I'm supposed to preach. I wonder what would be a good sermon. I don't go through a file or a Rolodex and find a sermon for July 4th of 2015, so maybe they've forgotten that message five years ago. I asked the Lord, give me a fresh word for the church. A fresh word. I could go pull out old sermons easily. But God says, No. What you, that was for them five years ago. They're not where they used to be. And you're going to have different people in your congregation today that need to hear something else. They're going to need to hear they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're going to need, the, they're going to need to hear that they need to prepare a little bit differently before they come to the house of God. Instead of just wandering in here, wiping the sleep out of their eyes. Give me a breath, man. I forgot I didn't have time to brush my teeth. We know who you are. Are you hearing me? This is not, listen, I'm not saying this to berate you. I'm, I'm saying this to encourage you because if you came in prepared, you would leave. You would think I'm the greatest bad preacher in the world. <laughs> and that's not what I'm here for. But what you would leave, and I'm just kidding about that, but what you would leave with is, man, God did have a word for me today. Yes. He did have a word for me today. I needed a word. Man, God. You knew exactly where I was at last night. And you, you said, if you will get to church and you will come with an expectation, if you will come to know you're going to be in the God's presence, you're going to speak to me tomorrow. And he does. Even through silly things that sometimes I throw out there that I know don't mean anything. But he'll speak to you. He'll speak to you. He's speaking to some of you right now. Let's just close your eyes right now. Let's just pray this prayer right now. 
even, middle, even into the sermon this far. Here we are, Lord, we're in your presence. We're anxious to hear the message that you, God, have put into the heart, heart of the pastor to share with us. May we hear the word you have for us in Jesus' name. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Verse 34, Peter said, now I know for certain. Now listen, this is, this is where it really gets good. Peter said, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. What are we, what are, what's our world, what's our country talking about right now? Racism. You think the Bible didn't address this a few thousand years ago? He said, now I know for certain. Now, Peter had to have a vision, okay? He had to have a supernatural experience, an encounter with Cornelius. He says, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. You, you see, he thought, he thought the vision was about food, and God says, no, I'm just getting your attention because you're hungry. But the vision is not about food. It's about people. It's about people. See, God will, he will meet you, whatever, whatever's going on in your life. He may speak to you through sports or, or through some other method, but he will get your attention. But normally it's about something else. Usually your dreams, they may seem abstract and about something else. But if you ask the Lord for interpretation, you'll see that these dreams are about something going on in your life that you need right now. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you do. It makes no difference. Listen, verse 35, it makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. Amen? God sent his word to the Jewish people first. He was going to get that in anyway, wasn't he? Announcing the wonderful news of hope and peace through Jesus, the anointed one, the Lord of all. You are well aware of all that began in Galilee and spread throughout the land of Israel immediately after John preached this message of baptism. Again, this church, the New Testament church, was about eight years old before now God's opening up the gospel in this way, in this supernatural way, to be all-inclusive. You see, the, the hatred between Jews and Gentiles was so bad that, listen, they, were, they said, don't you dare. If you were a Jew, you don't even try to help a Gentile. If they're in dire need, do not help them. You know, the worst of the worst was if a woman was pregnant and was going through a tough pregnancy, they said, do not help a pregnant Gentile because if she has a baby, you're just allowing another Gentile to come to the earth. Woo, that's pretty good. That's pretty bad hatred, right? And guess what? The hatred was reciprocal. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews either. We talk about one, but we need to talk about the other. They hated each other. And God said, it's time for that to end. It's time for that to end. See, God doesn't see color. He doesn't see economic status. He, he doesn't see our nationality. He sees your heart. Say, He sees my heart. Did you know that Christianity was the first religion to disregard racial, cultural, and national limitations? Did you know that? All the other, all the other religions, no other religion has been all-inclusive. The first one to be was Christianity. That should be an amen. amen. You see, when we talk about after Pentecost, the church of God would never have been complete or right in God's eyes if it was just Jews only. He poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost on all flesh. Say all. All flesh. But the Jews at that time said, well, as long as you adhere to our customs. See, they had limitations. We put limitations on people, don't we? We still do it. John Stott, I love this statement that he made. He said, the principal subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius as the conversion of Peter. You understand that? Some of you need to be converted. <laughs> not to Jesus, but out of the, the bad thinking that you have maybe toward other cultures, other races, other other, other religions. Here we are 2,000 years later. I know this is going to sting maybe. We're here 2,000 years later from Pentecost. And the world is still trying to figure out racism. 2,000 years of this. 
The church had it figured out 2,000 years ago. But the church today is still trying to figure it out too. And we shouldn't be. We've had 2,000 years to get this right, church. 2,000 years! When he said, I have poured out my spirit on all flesh. I, am not, I show no partiality. I am for everybody. We've had 2,000 years for the church to get this right. And yet we still have churches that are black and brown and white and divided all across our nation, all across our world. So we have to have these discussions. So God said, go to Acts chapter 10. I'll show you what I'm trying to do. I'll show you who I'm about. I'll show you who I'm for. He's for you. He's not against you. We should have always, for 2,000 years, we should have always been setting the example for the world. Instead of saying, I wonder why the church doesn't step up and show the world what, what it's like to be multicultural, living and walking together in freedom. Why don't wonder why we have to have this discussion? Because for 2,000 years, people have divided on the subject. Because 2,000 years, people have judged. For 2,000 years, the church has said, well, you know, if you will adhere to our principles, our, our customs, the way we do things, we might let you in. Romans 6.10 says, For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. 2 Peter 3.9 says, This means that contrary to a man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want any to perish, but to, for all to come to repentance. Say all. He's for all of us. When did we ever think we were exclusive? That he's just for us. And finally, verse 38. This is a sermon in itself, verse 38, but we're not going to preach that this morning. Jesus of Nazareth, he's preaching now, was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, and with great power, and he did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed him. He was the Messiah. He's the anointed one. We apostles were eyewitnesses to all the miracles that he performed throughout the land of Israel. Finally, in Jerusalem, he was crucified on the cross. But God raised him from the dead three days later, allowing him to be seen openly. He didn't appear to everyone, but he appeared to us, his chosen witnesses. He actually ate and drank with us after he rose from the dead. Jesus ordered us to preach and to warn the people that God had appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And not only us, but all of the prophets agree in their writings that everyone, everyone, say everyone, everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. That's probably the second most important sermon Peter ever preached. And it was short. It was brief. I'm going to show you how short it was. Look at the verse 44. While Peter was speaking, it's like the Holy Spirit said, Now, Peter, I know you want to keep going on and on. <laughs> but let's just go ahead and do this now. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascaded or fell over all those listening to his message. You see, they were prepped, Betty. They were ready. So we don't come in here ready. They were ready for it. Come on, God. What, who, whoever this man is you're sending, I know he's got a message for us. It says the Jewish brothers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who weren't Jews. See, if you don't understand how much they were hated, you don't get the context of this and the, and the grandeur of this, of the, the gravity of this. That right then, right there, the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles. And the, and the Jews were like, what? You love them too? You're for them too? Listen, listen to the rest of it. For they heard them speaking in supernaturally given languages and passionately praising God. And Peter said, how could anyone object to these people being baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit. Just how? 
just as we have. It's another Pentecost church. So he instructed them to be baptized in the power of the name of Jesus, the anointed one. And after their baptism, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. The reason I said this is another Pentecost, because on the day of Pentecost, before it even happened, the 120 or so, they were gathered together waiting for something that didn't even know exactly what they were waiting for. They didn't know. They just, he just said, wait for the power to come upon you so you be my witnesses. So they gathered together. Cornelius had his family come together. Let's wait. Something good is going, about to happen. The, whole, the, the, the angel said, there's somebody that's coming that's going to impart to us something incredible. So they were, there were some similarities there. In not the upper room, but in Cornelius' home. And he assembled, listen, the 120, they were of one accord. I'm telling you, Cornelius had his family prepped, and they were all of one accord. They were waiting for the presence of God through Peter to come into their house. And they were waiting for a message to be sent to them, and the message was, the messenger was Peter himself. They didn't know what to expect. And on the day of Pentecost, who got up and preached? Peter. How many people were saved? 3,000. Who got up and preached this day? It was Peter. And I know there was just a small family. It was a small family and some soldiers. But it was who God ordained at that moment to take the message from the, Gent- from the Jews to the Gentiles to the world. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, right? They began to speak in other languages. There was a, there was a definite a, a sign that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And so on this day in, in Cornelius' home, the Holy Spirit f- was poured out on all of them. They began to speak in tongues and other languages, praising God. And they said, listen, that's the same thing that happened to, uh, uh, eight years ago at Pentecost, at the Feast of Pentecost. The same thing happened that day. It's, it's happening right here to the Gentiles. And then he said, what's going to stop you? Man, you're, you're, you're part of us now. Let's get you water baptized. See, some people think, well, you've got to be water baptized, and then you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what? God never put things in a, in a formula because he knew that we would, try to, we would try to adopt the formula and try to do everything formulaic, right? And he said, listen, maybe you're going to get baptized. Some people get saved, and sometimes people get saved and baptized the Holy Spirit at the same time. Some people get saved, they get baptized in water, then later they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was me. Okay, he just said, the thing is, are you open to whatever God wants to do in your life? That's the key. And then they had to be taught. Peter, hang out with us. Man, teach us some more. They gathered together after the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people. What did they do? They listened to the apostles' teaching. Saw the signs and wonders. See, the church needs another Pentecost. Today in America across the world. The church needs another Pentecost. And it would be so cool if we all came together with this expectation that he's going to do something powerful and that we could actually see tongues of fire. But he's not doing it that way or he hasn't done it. Because you know what he's asking? He said, I've already poured out my spirit. It's up to us to receive his spirit. That's your day of Pentecost. See, my day of Pentecost was when I accepted the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when God gave me a vision and I received what he had from me. That was my Pentecostal day. That was my day of Pentecost. That's when everything changed for me. Happened for my wife. It happened for many of you. You received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You were walking along. You were just being a good little Christian. And all of a sudden you said, well, God, there's got to be more. Send me something. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm getting rid of sin. I'm getting rid of the, all the things that are, uh, are holding me back from receiving everything you have for me. I'm dedicating my life to you. I've made you Lord in my life. Hey. He said, oh, you're ready then, aren't you? Yes. Okay. And then he says, there it is. And you get it. You never are the same after that. Or you're not supposed to be. You know, the sad thing about this is if you read Galatians 2, Peter kind of reverted. Don't read it. Paul had to chastise him. Peter, you've been hanging out with Gentiles. I know you had a great experience with Cornelius and all them. But now when the Jews come to town, you kind of separate yourself from the Gentiles. Like, I'm not going to be hanging out with them because I know my Jewish brothers might look down on me. We do that. We do that. See, Peter was just so getting his flesh so often. And that he, God gave us an example not to follow, but to be re- recognized that we can, we can fall into those traps. 
Stand up, please. <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Latonia said, stand up. <laughs> I saw Ed over there laughing now that his wife is having a hard time standing up. Like. I don't even know what to do next. Let's just wait in the Lord. Let's see what he wants to do. Usually he tells me beforehand. I know you can you can come forward and we can pray for you the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and I'm not against that. My thought is there needs to be some preparation to it. That's just me, okay? Because you can come up here and say, "I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit," but you don't want to change your lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? I want to hang on to my prejudices and my anger. I want to hang on to all of this stuff. But I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I heard it's really cool. You know, when I look at the people at Cornelius' house, they were like, man, we, we want what God wants for us. And we're willing to pray and fast and believe. And we're anxious to hear this message and we want to be changed. We don't want to go through life just being God-fearing people. We want to be God-loving, God-saturated people doing the will of God every moment of our life. Just bow your heads. I just, I'm going to ask you to pray individually. What, what do you want? Remember when Prophet Roger Teal came? What was the question? He said, what do you want? That was it, wasn't it? What do you want? I mean, it was like baffled everybody. What do you mean what I want? And then we come up with our religious answers. Well, I want to be everything God wants me to be. And we come up with all these answers, but God said, really, what do you want? Because just like we said this morning, freedom is not free. It costs somebody something. So if you really want freedom in Christ, you're going to maybe have to give up some things. Surrender some things. And you can tell God no all you want to and he will not cross that line. But I'm telling you, when you tell God no, you're telling the wrong person no. Because he's God. And he's got your best intentions. He's got the best plans that you can imagine laid out for you. If you're willing to listen to him and say yes to him. I think this is what we should do this morning. I'm just going to, no ministry team right now, just, I'm going to ask you if you're in that place of indecision, not sure how it's supposed to look from today on after Pentecost. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar and just kneel here and do business with the Lord. So I invite you to come. It's not an indictment on anybody that you, you're this or that. It's just that you really want to see God's face this morning. If you really want everything He has for you, then I'm, this, is the, this is the question. If you come forward this morning and you ask Him, Lord, what's hindering me from receiving everything you have for me? Ask Him that and let Him tell you what it is. Let him tell you what it is. There may be somebody that you've not forgiven. There may be somebody that you said, I can't forgive them. Pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. You know what? I don't really care what they've done to you. God says we can't hold on to that unforgiveness. 
and really walk in, in, in unity. We can't walk in power. We can't walk in, we can't walk in, the, in the things of God if we're holding on to, to, to anger, if we're holding on to uh, bitterness, if we're, if we're holding on to grudges. You can't be everything God's called you to be. Don't think you can be. That's a lie from the devil. So that's this, this invitation for you this morning. What are you holding back? What, what secret sin are you holding on to? Maybe nobody knows but you and God. He says, listen, today's the day. Lay it at the altar and leave it there. Lay it at the foot of the cross and leave it there so I can become God in your life again. So I can become the, 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 the Lord of your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Vessels. Vessels this morning. You need to empty yourself of you. Kick you out. Kick you off the throne. And allow God to come and take his rightful place. I'll never forget that four spiritual laws. You ever see the four spiritual laws? It's got that little picture of the, the chair. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? The little picture of the chair. And it's got the cross to the side. And then it's got you and most of the time we're sitting on the throne of our life and God says to really serve me to love me and to, to be everything I've called you to be you need to put me on the on the throne of your life you need to be pleasing me if God's not on the throne of your life this morning if he's not the first thing you think of when you wake up and the last thing you think of when you go to bed if he's not in your thoughts throughout the day if he's not in your heart throughout the day. If you don't, if he's, if he's just a, a secondary in your life, then you need to be doing business with him today. Because I believe he wants us to experience a fresh infilling of his spirit. Thank you, Father. Pour out your spirit on us this morning. Father, may we be receiving what you have for us, Lord. May we empty ourselves of us to receive your spirit today, Lord. And it may manifest in unknown tongues. It may manifest in prophecy. It may manifest in a gift, Father, that we we would, even a secondary, a gift that we wouldn't even think about, but just the gift of helping somebody, the gift of giving, the gift, so many gifts, Father, that you've given us, power gifts to lay hands on the sick, gifts of healings, Father. But, Father, we're never going to experience those gifts if we're going to hold on to ourselves and say we're more important than you. We've got to defer to Jesus. Come and fill us this morning, Lord. Father, those prideful hearts, those that are just wrapped up in pride this morning, Father, we bind up pride in the name of Jesus. We loose humility. We bind up a religious spirit that says, well, I just don't believe in that stuff. And we loose the truth of your word. We loose the truth of your word that says that we can open up you and you will fill us. You'll refill us and you'll refill us and you'll refill us. Make us vessels today of your love, of your peace, of your hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, 